right, well, welcome back to Quarter Baptist Church. Uh, good to have you all with us, and uh, glad that you came back for the evening service. Boy, what a great morning this morning. Um, not only the, the preaching was fantastic, but also the lunch afterward. But I will say this, however, having just one service in the morning makes it seems like the afternoon went forever to me. I was like, man, this is a long time. But it's good to be back, even though it's midnight. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord. <laughs> and uh, looking forward to tonight. But I wanted to thank, we had, we had a lot going on this weekend. And Friday night, the banquet was just, uh, was fantastic. It went well. The food was good. We had a pretty good turnout, considering we haven't done it for, um, for a couple of years. And I just wanted to thank everyone who helped transform this into... Uh, a diner and then uh, tore it down afterwards and came back the next day and uh, and cleaned up and man it just went it went so well and I just want to thank everyone who did that matter of fact it went so well we had enough food left over that that's what we ate uh, this afternoon uh, after the morning service and uh, Amanda was the one behind all of that and doing all the cooking and everything and um, man, appreciate that. I know it was a good time of fellowship, and the church really enjoyed it. And um, we really, I just appreciate everyone doing, uh, just doing their part, and doing all the work. It really, really makes for um, a good time, makes for a good church. And so we appreciate that. All right, well, I appreciated the preaching this morning. What a great message. Uh, that's one of those portions of scripture that you you read over and over and like I was saying the other night you can read the same portion of scripture but the Bible is so deep you can get something different from it every single time and uh, boy there was some things said this morning about Zacchaeus that I had never thought of before and it's just like putting more meat on those bones that God gives to us and I really appreciate that brother Schwenke come on up here and preach the word and uh, go ahead and mention your table too I forgot to mention that Thank you so much, preacher. God bless you tonight. Let me invite you to turn to one of those, another text that we read all the time. Habakkuk chapter number one tonight, and I'd like to begin from Habakkuk chapter one, and you mean you don't? Habakkuk chapter one and verse number one in your Old Testament, and, and so I guess as we're turning to Habakkuk, it's a good time for the commercial, so we've got plenty of extra time. So while you're checking that index in your Bible, the preacher's been good enough to let me set up a table in the back, and, and uh, we use the monies from that table to help us, and you folks do as a church as well. I uh, spend some time with missionaries and churches around the world every year. Uh, Lord willing, last year I had a great opportunity to preach in Central and South America and Bolivia. First time I was there, uh, uh, Peru had been there many times, and then in Mexico and, uh, and a new church, and just uh, we take about a month every year and go spend some time in places maybe a little hard to get to. Uh, later this year, Lord willing, I plan to preach in Malaysia, and uh, they just opened up, uh, be with Brother Gary Keck in Papua New Guinea. They're in the process, hopefully, of opening up, and, and then, uh, Lord willing, in Melbourne, Australia, which they'll probably never open up. No, I think, I think they have, so, uh, Lord willing, anyway, at the end of the year, we plan to be in that part of the world, and we just use the monies from the table to spend some time with missionaries and preaching. On the table, there's a number of books, a number of new ones since we were here last, uh, uh, that we have available, some for teenagers, some from this part of the Bible, the allegedly called minor prophets. In addition to that, uh, we have on the table a, a, a thumb drive with preaching. Every year I add a number of messages to that thumb drive. It's up to 665 now. 
So the preaching's available, and then uh, also something new back there is another different thumb drive. And uh, we put all the books into PDF forms or EPUB forms, if you know what that means. And uh, they're available on that thumb drive as well. So if you don't know what EPUB and PDF is, the books are for you, <laughs> the real books, you know what I'm saying? So those are available on the table, and if you do the ebook thing, and you, they're available at Amazon as well. And, and so that's the commercial for the week. But uh, uh, we trust everything back there has been written for people in independent Baptist churches like Corridor Baptist Church. That's the only place we go to preach. And, and then in turn, we use that to help us spend some time in churches around the world. So we trust that's a win-win, and I'll be glad to help you any night back there. All right, if you have your Bible to the book of Habakkuk chapter 1, that's great. And if you don't, just pretend like you do. Your neighbor's not there either. And, and so tonight from Habakkuk chapter number 1 in verse number 1, the mighty man of God Habakkuk lives in the golden age of revival. You know, when he was just a boy, I can imagine him uh, just seeing with his own eyes what is arguably the greatest revival in world history. And I know that's a subjective thing, I guess, but, but I say it's very different from what we call revival nowadays. I mean, for decades, the city of Jerusalem was pagan. It was getting worse and worse. And, and now after decades of idolatry, God raised up a boy named Josiah. You know, from the years 8 to 16 in that young man's life, Please understand, his father was a disaster. His grandfather was even more of a disaster. So there was somebody, and it's one of those unknown people, when we get to heaven, I, I guess we'll know, but somebody poured their life in an eight-year-old boy, just like somebody week after week goes back into these classrooms, and they pour their lives into eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds, and you know, somebody did that with Josiah. And by the time he was 16, he had some backbone and conviction. And out comes the broom, and Josiah rids the land of the idols. Well, that wasn't enough. Josiah knew it's one thing to get rid of the paganism, but it's useless unless we turn to the Lord our God. And so the brooms come out again, and he cleans up the house of God. And, and when they're doing it, it's one of the greatest moments in the Old Testament. The priest of God, and who knows where he was? You know, the, the Jewish legend says that he uncovered a, 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 a pile of rocks outside somewhere. I don't know. Maybe one of those many storehouses we read about in the Bible. You know, the dust is that high, and, and he blows it away. And yet there it is, the discovery for the ages. I have found the book of the law of God. He runs to the secretary of state, Shaphan, who brings word to King Josiah. After all these years, we have found the Bible. Brother, if you need a good illustration that God preserves his word, just ask Josiah. And now they have discovered the word of God. And for the first time in decades, they read the Bible in the ears of the king. You know, that was a commandment back in the, in the law. And now Josiah says, this isn't just for me. Get the entire nation into the streets of Jerusalem. And they all stand at attention while the word of God is read. You know, there are things that are called revival in America. But this was genuine because it was a revival of a love for the word of God. I have discovered that a lot of the so-called revivals in America are nothing but singing festivals. They are nothing but parties and good times. If it is a real revival, there will be a return to the Bible, the return to the preaching of the Word of God. And that's what happened under Josiah. And a little guy named Habakkuk had a front row seat to the whole thing. 
You know, I can imagine when Habakkuk was a young man, it's time to go to camp. And all right, you know, everybody going to camp wants to know who's preaching to camp this year. And, and you know, I can almost imagine, well, Habakkuk's going to camp. And on Monday night, oh, man, fasten your seatbelt. Old Dr. Nahum is going to be preaching. And brother, when Nahum starts preaching about the vengeance and the wrath of God, there must have been lightning bolts and, 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 and tornadoes blowing through camp. I mean, when he started preaching, it was powerful. On Tuesday night, if you thought that was something, Brother Zephaniah is going to preach. And when Zephaniah started preaching about holiness and righteousness and convictions, brother, you could hear the pin drop. On Wednesday night at camp, you better bring your handkerchief. The weeping prophet Jeremiah is preaching. Then on Thursday night, there's this new guy preaching, some guy named Ezekiel. I got to tell you, it wasn't just the golden age of preaching. It was the golden age of revivals, the golden age of preaching. And maybe, maybe that's why it was the golden age of revival. But the preaching was there. The word of God was there. It was quite the time. And, and Habakkuk grows up with a front row seat to the mightiest men of God in the Bible. He grows up with a front row seat to the greatest revival of them all. He grows up with a king like Josiah who fears and loves the Lord. And now we come to Habakkuk chapter number one. And it is time for Habakkuk to step forward. How do we know how it worked out? You know, maybe it was at camp one night that Habakkuk surrendered to preach. Maybe one day the Spirit of God tugged at his heart and Habakkuk said, it's time for me to give my life to serve the Lord. And so in Habakkuk chapter 1, it is time for God's preacher to preach the message that God has given him. If you're able physically tonight, could I invite you to stand together with me as we go to the mighty words of our God. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee a violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Father, we pray for your help and your blessing tonight. I ask that the word of God would stir up the fallow ground of our own hearts. And may tonight you find good and honest hearts that are ready to receive the word. And Lord, would you please do that work that you did with Josiah so many years ago. I pray if someone in this building has never been saved, that tonight would be the night by grace through faith they're born again. So we ask you to do a work that a preacher cannot do, to do something eternal and powerful and permanent. In Jesus' great name I pray, amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. So it's time for Habakkuk to step forward and pick up the mantle. Why, the mighty men of God have come and they have gone, and, and yet now Jerusalem is standing literally at the crossroads. The clock is about ready to strike midnight now, and, and all the story of revival and all the working of God under Josiah has turned into a memory of things gone by. And now the days have become desperate and things are ready to fall apart. So Habakkuk, it's time for your opportunity. It's time for you to pick up the mantle and preach the message that God has given you. Uh, you know, one reason I love this part of the Bible so much, I, I, I don't know if I have a favorite part, but if I do, uh, it would be these last 12 books of the Old Testament. Some seminary professor decided they were minor prophets. 
Well, I would have to say that professor must have never read them. There is nothing minor about this part of the Word of God. Brother, there's some awfully major messages from these so-called minor prophets. And Habakkuk is one of them. It's time to do the job. And yet I love it because, well, verse number one gives you the reason. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. You know, everything we know about Habakkuk we read in that verse. You say, well, that's not much there. And that's the point, isn't it? You know, when you come to these last 12 books of the Old Testament, uh, unless the name is Jonah and Jonah's story is part of the book, or you might make the same case for Hosea, you know, the rest of the men, they show up and they preach the message God gives them. And then they just disappear in the Word of God. I mean, when it comes to Habakkuk, we don't even know who his mommy was. We don't know who his daddy was. We don't know what fellowship he belonged to. And this is really stunning. We don't even know what Bible college he attended. You know, all the stuff that is so important to us, it doesn't matter at all. I mean, these things don't matter in heaven. All that counts is that God has raised up his man, Habakkuk, that Habakkuk has said yes to the will of God. And for all the stuff that we think is so important and all the personality complex that surrounds preachers and ministers, all of that is missing in the back of the Old Testament. All that matters is that man has a message from heaven. And the Bible tells us it's the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. You know, the times are so desperate and the hour is so late. And Jerusalem is in so much trouble that when you would expect the Bible to tell us God gave words to Habakkuk, that's the common thing. This time God said it's so bad, I'm going to give you a vision. Habakkuk, you're not only going to hear with your ears my words, you're going to see with your eyes the vision from heaven. The wheels are coming off and it's coming down to midnight. Jerusalem is standing at the precipice of the judgment of God and the Bible tells us that God's man has a vision from heaven and now this prophet has a message that is burdening in his soul. It is just in the depths of his heart. It's a burden that he can't shake loose of. 24 hours a day, this is weighing him down. He can't escape it. He can't get rid of it. This man is the story of a prophet with a burning message bubbling up in his soul and he cannot help but stand and declare the words that God has given him. Times are desperate. This preacher is not going to play games. He's going to stand up not to make friends. He's not there to influence people to like him. Why Habakkuk is standing up with a message that God has given him and he is going to preach regardless of the outcome. It is time for God's man to step forward. Jerusalem is teetering on the judgment of God. Its existence is being brought into question. If something doesn't happen and it doesn't happen soon, Jerusalem is finished. It's time for Habakkuk to preach the message God has given him. And yet having said that, it really doesn't prepare you for verse number two. Quite honestly, there's no book in the Bible quite like Habakkuk. No book in the Bible starts like this. You know, when you go to Bible college, for those who are training for the ministry, they have a class that is called homiletics. Now, homiletics is a course that is, well, allegedly it's teaching men how to preach. Unfortunately, homiletics is usually taught by somebody who can't preach. You know, you know the old saying, right? Those who can't teach or something like that. And, and, and so homiletics, there's a lot of theory and there's a lot of form and there's a lot of this is how you're supposed to do it. But you know, it's one thing to get the theory and it's another thing to do it. 
And I will promise you that you could go to any Bible school you choose. You could sit in all the homiletics classes that you want to, uh, and you will never, ever hear anyone tell you to do it like Habakkuk did it. You know, you're supposed to stand up there with a big smile. You're supposed to warm up the crowd. You're supposed to tell them a joke. Why? You're supposed to tell them a story. Give them a poem. Do something nice. No one in the world has ever been taught to preach like Habakkuk does in this book. Because when we get to verse number two, uh, the fancy introductions are all done. Now Habakkuk stands early on the streets of Jerusalem, and he literally starts to argue with Almighty God. You know, you might read the first part of Habakkuk thinking, this isn't going to end well. (laughs) It really doesn't. But I got to tell you, you talk about courage and boldness. You know, there is coming boldly unto the throne of grace, and then there is the book of Habakkuk. This is coming boldly under the throne on steroids. I mean to tell you, everything you've been taught not to do, uh, well, Habakkuk does it in chapter 1 in verse number 2. He starts out the book of Habakkuk, and it's kind of like lighting a bomb. He stands there literally arguing with heaven. Can you hear the preacher look up to glory and say in verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Now, I got to tell you, that's not how you're supposed to do it. Habakkuk stands there now, and he's screaming in heaven. Lord, how much longer do I have to cry? How much longer do I cry, and you're not listening? Lord, how much longer do I pray, and you're not responding? You know, here I am, Lord, begging you to do something about my city. Jerusalem is bursting at the seams. Wickedness is falling, is is destroying us. And the preacher stands there saying, my city is coming apart. My country is falling apart. And Lord, here I am begging you to do something about it. And Habakkuk says, my prayers aren't getting above the ceiling. You notice at the end of verse number two, thou wilt not save. In the first part of verse number two, thou wilt not hear. You know, the problem is not you cannot hear. Of course God can hear. The problem is not that God cannot save. Of course God can save. The problem in verse number two is that God won't. He won't even listen. He won't save. And here is the preacher standing before God with the question of the ages. How long is this going to take? How much longer do I have to keep crying? How much longer do I have to keep begging you? How much longer do I have to keep pleading with you? Or the wheels are coming off my city of Jerusalem. And here I am begging you to save us and begging you to respond. And it's not that you can't, you won't. I got to tell you, this is some pretty sobering eye thinking. This is some pretty powerful preaching. You know, in verse number two, he uses the word cry twice. Yet, as we have in our speech in America, there are different kinds of cries. We have a cry of pain, a cry of joy, a cry of defeat, a a cry of victory. And in verse number two, when the Bible says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? Well, in the language of the Bible, that is a cry for help. So here's the preacher saying, I'm begging you to help us. I'm pleading with you to help us. When you come to the end of that verse, it's a different kind of cry. I'm crying out of violence. This is a cry of pain and a cry of affliction. In other words, the preacher says, Lord, I'm begging you to do something. I can't take it anymore. I am watching right in front of my eyes the city of Jerusalem fall apart. I am looking at sin as it chokes our city. I am looking at a people that have abandoned God and his word. I am watching my city fall apart right in front of my eyes. And Lord, I know you could fix it by lunchtime tomorrow. It is not that you can't, you won't. 
And so here is a preacher looking up to heaven with a question for God. How long is this going to take? How much longer do I have to keep on praying? How much longer do I have to keep on begging? How long is this going to take before God finally does something about the disaster called Jerusalem? He gets a little specific in verse number 3. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? So now the preacher starts laying it out for heaven. You know, obviously you're not listening and you're not watching and you're not responding. So Lord, let me lay it out for you. He said, everywhere I look at Jerusalem, there's nothing but iniquity and lawlessness and sin. Why do I have to look at this? People don't care about your laws. People don't care about right and wrong. Why in my country, Habakkuk is saying, right has become wrong and wrong has become right. And he said, Lord, I can't take it anymore. This is grieving me. This is ripping me apart on the inside. Every time I look at my city, it just seems like there's more crime and there's more violence and there's more wickedness and it's tearing me apart from the inside out. I am grieved and I am broken and I'm angry and I'm upset and I am stirred up and I am worked up and I can't sleep at night. I've got this burden that I can't get rid of 24 hours a day. And he said, Lord, how much longer is it going to be until you do something about this? The streets of my city are full of violence. Everywhere I look, there's iniquity, lawlessness. People don't even care about right and wrong. Wrong has become right and right has become wrong. And Lord, I can't take it anymore. It is breaking my heart from the inside out. How about the middle of verse number three? For spoiling and violence are before me. Habakkuk says, I'm looking right here at my city of Jerusalem. And first, violent people are destroying the city. And after violent people destroy the city, here come the spoilers, the robbers, the crooks. And they just break right into the businesses and they spoil, they steal that which is not theirs. Lord, I'm looking at violence. I'm looking at robbery. Everywhere I look, my city is falling apart. There is wickedness and lawlessness and right is wrong and wrong is right. And the preacher says, I can't take it anymore. And when you bring it into the courtrooms at the end of verse number three, there are that raise up strife and contention. You know, you expect your officials, you expect your politicians, you expect the justices in the courts to administer justice. But instead of dealing justice against wicked people, instead the courtrooms, he said, have become places of strife and contention. In other words, instead of dealing with God's law, instead of dealing and punishing criminals, they have frivolous lawsuits and people are playing games with the laws and slick lawyers go into the courtrooms and the wicked people walk out of the courtroom scot-free and somehow the righteous people got to pay for the wicked people. And Habakkuk says, I just can't take it anymore. The violence is in the streets. Right has become wrong. Wrong has become right. There is robbery and there is stealing. There are unjust judges in the courtrooms. Everything is twisted. Everything is a disaster. The wheels are coming off and Lord, you're the only one that can fix this. So how much longer is this going to take? I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but when I read Habakkuk chapter one, am I reading Habakkuk or am I reading the USA today? And I got to tell you, it doesn't take a whole lot of me standing here and painting any pictures before. Is he talking about Jerusalem or is he talking about Seattle? 
Is he talking about Jerusalem? Is he talking about Portland? Is he talking about Jerusalem or is this Chicago? Is he talking about Jerusalem or New York or Baltimore? Is he talking about New Orleans or Dallas or Houston? Is he talking about my hometown of Phoenix? You can pick any major city in America and isn't it not the exact same story? Lawlessness and wickedness, unjust courts, unjust judges. The right is wrong. The wrong is right. We are twisted in our thinking. We are so fouled up. We don't know what's up. We don't know what's down. We're so deceived. We don't know what a man is. We don't know what a woman is. The whole thing is just falling apart. And how many times do you join Habakkuk and look up to heaven and we say, how long is this going to take? When is this thing finally going to snap? When is God going to do something about this mess that we live in? It's so bad in verse number four that the law is slack. And it's not like sometimes you get right judgment. Judgment doth never go forth. He said, Lord, it's just like it's never working. It's like they're always wrong. It's like every time the judge speaks, he gets it wrong. Every time the politicians vote, they get it wrong. Every time you watch the news, it's worse than the day before. This whole thing is corrupt. This whole thing is falling apart. The law is slack. Judgment, justice doth never go forth. And then in the end of verse number four, Habakkuk says, for the wicked doth come pass about the righteous. That kind of says it all, doesn't it? Habakkuk says, Lord, it is like we're being choked. And the few of us that want righteousness, the few of us that honor the law, the few of us that believe in right and wrong, it just seems like we're choked off. And it's one thing that wicked people do their thing, but we're the ones that got to pay for it. It's one thing that wicked people want to promote their evil. And he has gotten to the place where you can't even go to Disney World. I mean, what in the world is going on in this country? It has all fallen apart. I'd walk in my own grocery store yesterday and under lock and key is the baby formula. What in the world has gone wrong with America? This thing is so out of whack. This thing is so demented. The thinking of the leadership is so perverted. I mean, wow, it's come to the place where the little boys and girls in kindergarten are under assault and attack. And we want to join a preacher and say, how long is this going to take? We are being choked by wickedness. We are compassed and surrounded by evil. It seems like there's nowhere to go and there's nowhere to turn. And every place you look wrong, judgments proceed forth. So Habakkuk stands in Jerusalem. And forget all the homiletics now. Forget all the let's warm up the crowd now. He starts screaming in heaven. How long is this going to take? How long until God does something? How long is it going to be? before heaven intervenes in this disaster that is called Jerusalem. How long? How long? You know, when you look at verse number two and you hear the preacher say, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. That little cry, how long? This is not the first time a preacher in the Bible has uttered those words. In fact, in verse number two, when Habakkuk screams to heaven, how long? He is joining quite a list in the Bible of some of the mightiest men of God who had a season in their life where things were so desperate and times were so evil and it was so hard that they could only look up to heaven and say in sorrow, how long is this going to take? 
There are 16 times in the book of Psalms where the psalmist, whoever it was, cried out to heaven and said, how long? When you read your Bible, you'll find that David cried those words. Job cried those words. This was the prayer of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Hosea and Daniel and Zechariah. I mean, we are looking at an all-star cast of some of the mightiest men of God, of kings and of prophets, of faithful men. Some of the greatest testimonies like Daniel and Job are paragons of righteousness in the Bible. And yet each one of them had a season in their life where maybe it was physical torture. Maybe it was a sorrow and the fear of watching their city fall apart. Maybe they're being choked by sin. Maybe it's some other great heartache. But every one of them have a place in their life where they think, I can't go on. I can't make it. Lord, it's just falling apart. And Lord, you're the only one that can do something. Every one of these righteous men had a point in their life where they said, Lord, I can't take it anymore. How long until you intervene? Maybe it's wrapped up best in Psalm 92.3. Oh, Lord, how long shall the wicked, for emphasis that is repeated, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? And tonight it's awfully easy for you and for me as we watch our country fall apart in front of our eyes. And if there was somewhere to go, maybe we'd go, but there is nowhere to turn and there is nowhere to run. This whole world is just heading down the precipice into the wickedness of sin. It just seems like Satan's crowd is winning. It just seems like everything is falling apart. And we cry out to heaven with Habakkuk. We join the Job's and the David's and the Daniel's. And we say, how long? How long until God intervenes? You know, I hate to be a pessimist tonight, but I am a... Maybe you wouldn't have thought that. But I'm afraid it's not getting better anytime soon. You know, the Bible doesn't say it's going to get better and better. It says it's going to get worse and worse. The Bible doesn't say good times are coming. It says perilous times shall come. And in case we missed it, well, when you and I are long gone and in the middle of the tribulation, the Bible tells us in heaven, those who have been slain for the testimony of Christ are going to lift up their voice and say, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell upon the earth? It was the cry of one of the most ancient men in the Bible. And Job is suffering physically and he says, how long? Yet in our future, it's the cries of those who have died for their Savior in the tribulation. How long? How long till you avenge our blood? Through the course of time, from the very beginning to yet in the future, righteous people have watched their world fall apart. Righteous people have been surrounded by the wicked. Righteous people have seen everything crumble. And they have lifted up their voice when they couldn't take it anymore. And like Habakkuk, they say, how long? How long until God intervenes? How long is this going to take? But you know, when you and I join Habakkuk and we look at the news and say, how much longer does this go on? There's something that perhaps we don't ever stop to think about. You know, I don't think it takes a whole lot of understanding for every one of us to look at Habakkuk as he's watching Jerusalem crumble apart morally, spiritually, in every which way. As the courts are wrong, the judges are wrong, everything is wrong. I don't think it takes much for you or for me to join Habakkuk and understand why he says how long. And though I would guess tonight that that no one in this building has probably ever suffered like Job did physically, 
there's plenty of people that have gone through some agony and some torture. And while you maybe we've never had it to that level, some have suffered and all of us have known people that, that have faced horrible things physically and great agony and pain. And we can imagine somebody on a hospital bed writhing in pain saying, how much longer is this going to take? You know, all of us could join those saints in the tribulation. And, and we look at some of our brothers and sisters and nations around the world that are imprisoned and even executed for Christ. And, and we can join them, though we can't commiserate personally. You know, we have enough to understand how long is this going to take? How long until God just establishes justice? How long until these wicked despots? How long until these wicked potentates? How long till the Xi's and the Putins and the Trudeaus finally face what they deserve. How long is it going to be before wicked people face the wrath of God? We perhaps have never gone to the level of a Habakkuk or of a Job or of a David or of these saints in the tribulation, but you know, we can understand and at one level or another, we can appreciate those words and we can understand the human agony of a child of God that is facing personal torture, national torture, and they just seems like they can't take it anymore. And they scream towards heaven, how long is this going to take? But you know, the one thing that we never really think about is that while we are looking up to heaven saying, how long? How long is this going to happen? How long does wickedness win? How long, how long? Well, as humans, we want to ask God, how long is it going to take? In the Bible, do you know what the Lord is asking us? How long? So living in Arizona like I do, I believe you call this a standoff. Here's the humans looking up with Habakkuk saying, how long until you do something? And yet all through the Bible, all through the Bible, the Lord has his arms stretched out towards you and me, and he is asking us through the Bible tonight, how long? We say, how long is it going to take? And the Lord responds, how long is it going to take? Here's the list in the Word of God. And, and I'm afraid it's quite convicting. In Exodus 16, verse number 28, the Lord said unto Moses, how long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? In the book of Numbers 14 and 11, the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? In Joshua 18 and 3, Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are you slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? In 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? Psalm 4, verse number 2. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Matthew 27, or 17, 17. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? So there we go. And we got an old-fashioned Western standoff. We got it at high noon now because here we are, challenging God, saying, how long do we get these wicked judges? How long do we have these evil politicians? How long do the wicked people prosper? How long does it keep getting worse and worse? And now the Lord says, okay, how long? How long until you people get serious with me? And, and you know, folks, I don't know for sure, but I've got a sneaky idea that maybe, 
perhaps perchance, if we should ever get serious about his list of how longs, he just might get serious about our how long. Because while we are screaming, how much longer does this Washington mess? How much longer is this Salem mess? How much longer is this Portland mess? How much longer is this? How much longer is that? How much longer? How much longer? How much longer is this going to take? All right, the Lord says, fine, let's just turn it around. How long is it going to take until you finally listen to my word? No, it's the greatest sin of America. It happened again this afternoon. People went home from, forget about unsaved houses of religion. They don't matter. The time has come that judgment must begin, not in some big business religion, not in some house of religion where they don't believe the Bible. God said judgment begins in the house of God, the New Testament assembly. So when New Testament assemblies, just like Corridor Baptist Church, across America and around the world, people went home this morning, took their Bible, and they stuck it up on the shelf, and the Bible's going to sit there all week long. And next Sunday, you know, they're going to blow the dust off the Bible and tuck it under their arms, so I got a prop when I come to church. And the Bible sits on the shelf all week, and the Lord would like to know how long is it going to take until you and I finally get serious about the Bible. No, no, no. How long? Forget about watching the news and forget about all the other stuff. Forget about all the things that raises our blood pressure and panics us. God says, how long until you finally get serious about listening to my word? Because when we finally get serious about that, God may get serious about our little list. The Lord would like to know how long is it going to be until we stop provoking him. You know, that's a sin in the Old Testament. It's a sin in the New Testament. The people of God provoking God. The people of God tempting God. Oh, you know, we look so righteous. We look so spiritual. We look so holy walking into church. And yet we walk out there and it's something entirely. And the same mouth that is honoring God on Sunday morning is the same tongue that is using his name in vain on Monday. The same person that honors God with the assembly of the believers gets around the unsaved kids at school and the same tongue look, acts like they belong to the devil. And the Lord would like to know, how long is it going to be until you and I stop provoking him? The Lord wants to know, how long is it going to be until we finally trust him? You know, I, I always people, oh, I can trust the Lord with my eternal soul. I can trust the Lord with heaven and hell. I can trust the Lord with eternity. I just can't trust him for this week. Really? The Lord would like to know when we're going to stop singing songs we don't mean and we're going to start believing what the Word of God says. The Lord would like to know when we're finally going to trust him. We're going to trust him with our business. We're going to trust him with our lives. We're going to trust him with our family. We're going to trust him with everything. The Lord would like to know when we're finally going to step out in faith believing him. Because when we get around to his how long, he might just get around to ours. Maybe the best one of all is good old Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel. How long halt ye between two opinions? You know, in a weird way, that was kind of an Old Testament way of saying how long are you going to dance with two partners? When you're going to figure out whose side you're on. You know, there could be somebody here tonight. How long is it going to take before you finally get baptized and you become part of Corridor Baptist Church? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a, a, an engraved invitation from heaven? you got a whole book that tells you what to do. How long is that going to take? How long? You know, he said, well, you know, nowadays people just don't commit. Well, just because the pagan world that's destroyed everything can't commit to anything doesn't mean you and I aren't supposed to be faithful to the Bible and commit to the New Testament church. How long until you join the team? 
you know, there's a lot of Christians tonight. They're kind of like, well, kind of like that old boy in the Civil War. He had friends and family on the north, and he had friends and family on the south. And all he wanted was for everybody to like him. You know, I've concluded the poor guy must have been from Maryland. Have you ever been to Maryland? You know, the people in Pennsylvania, they got Gettysburg. You know what side they were on. And if you ever go, say, to Richmond or Fredericksburg, Virginia, they're still fighting the Civil War down there. I got to tell you, they haven't gotten over it yet. But you know, it's those Maryland people. Some family and friend on the north, some family and friend on the south. And this old boy wanted everybody to like him. So we went out and he got him a blue jacket. He said, when the northern people see my blue jacket, they're going to like me. He got him a gray pair of slacks. He said, when the southerners see my gray slacks, they're going to like me. So he got his blue coat. He got his gray slacks. And you know what happened? The poor guy got shot in both ends. The south shot him right in the heart, and the north shot him right in the bottom. You know, folks, someday you're just going to have to decide which side you're on. You can't be on the Jesus team on Sunday and the devil's team on Monday. You can't sing for Jesus on Sunday and then listen to Satan's music on Monday. You can't talk about Jesus on Sunday and use the devil's language on Monday. We're just going to have to put the jersey on and join the team. And you know, if you're on the Lord's side, join the team. If you're on Satan's side, well, just join the team, but join somebody's team. And the Lord would like to know how long is it going to be that we hop between two opinions. The Lord would like to know how long is it going to be until we stop mocking his name. The Lord would like to know how long is it going to be before people that are saved. You know, it's one thing for pagans that are lost and bound for hell. No wonder they hate Jesus. But you know, one of the gravest sins in the Bible, it happens to be one of the big ten, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. How many Christians are there on Sunday? They're singing, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then on Monday, they use that same tongue to like they're vomiting. They say, oh my. And then they insert the holy name of our God. What an evil sin that is. What a disgraceful sin. God said, it's my enemies who take my name in vain. The Lord would like to know how long is it going to be until we stop mocking his name. He'd just like to know how long is it going to be until we stop taking him for granted. And, and maybe that describes religion in America like nothing else. God wants you rich, and God wants you happy, and God wants you successful. No, no. God wants you saved, and God wants you righteous. And it never says in the Bible that God wants you to be rich, or God wants you to drive a Cadillac, or that God wants you to have anything. It's the righteous men in the Bible were men that oftentimes had, had severe medical problems. And yet people want just a God who's nothing more than an ATM machine. I'm going to tell the Lord, fix this, do this, take care of this, heal this, do this, do this. And after the Lord does all that, we'll just put you right back in the machine. And the next time I have a problem, I'll put in my ATM card. I'll punch in the code. And Lord, you just take care of all my problems and you fix all my needs. And every time Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall, when all the king's horses and all the king's psychiatrists can't put him back together, Jesus is supposed to fix every one of these little problems. And the Lord would like to know how long is it going to be until we bow our knee and honor him and magnify him and praise him and exalt him instead of demanding of him what he can do for us. When are we going to stop taking him for granted? When are we going to treat him like the God of glory, not like somebody who gives me what I want? When are we finally going to bow our knee and worship and honor him? The Lord would like to know. Because when we finally get around to his how-longs, who knows? 
He just might get around to our little list of how longs. And when we're looking up to heaven saying, well, how long does violence fill our streets? And how long do wicked people prosper? And how long are the righteous people going to be choked by evil people? And how long is this going to take before it gets fixed? And there's the Lord with his arms stretched out saying, well, how long until you get serious about my word? How long until you start honoring me? How long until you repent and return to me? And while we're screaming how long, heaven is asking how long. And I guess we're really at a standstill tonight until we finally humble ourselves. When we get around to the Lord's little list of how long, that just may be when God gets around to our little list. Years ago in the 1950s, there was a fellow named Moosey Lister lived in the state of Tennessee, and he was sitting by his fireplace on a cold winter night. And he thought back when he was a young boy, he said, you know, prayer was so natural to me. He gave his testimony. I grew up in a Christian family, and, and, and you know, we just prayed, and we read the Bible, and these things were just natural. We just did them. And, and then he said, the older I got, and even serving the Lord, he said, I'm afraid that, that prayer became real work for me, and things got awfully cold between me and my Savior. Sitting by the fireplace that night, the Lord began to convict his heart. And Mr. Lister picked up a pencil and a pad, and he began to write some words. And 15 minutes later, it sounded like this. So how long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you prayed, and how long since you stayed on your knees till the light shone through? So how long has it been since your mind felt at ease, and how long since your heart knew no burden? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? We can all understand why Habakkuk would say, How long? How long? How long? But how long has it been since you and I found ourselves at an altar repenting of our sins? How long? I mean, when was the last time that we rolled out of bed in the morning not to turn on the TV and not to turn on the news, but to open up our Bible? and start the day with the creator of the universe. How long has that been? How long has it been since we witnessed to anybody about the precious gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? How long since we memorized a verse in the Bible? How long, how long since we spoke of him? We could go on forever, couldn't we? How long has it been since we did those simple things that people who love the Lord are desirous and wanting to do? And maybe that's the point. How long has it been since we have been right with God? And while we all want God to fix the problems that we can't fix, that we have created, when it's all turned around right back on us, we're not too worried about seemingly wanting to get right with Him. How long, Lord, till you fix this? The better question is how long till you and I get right with God? Could there be somebody here tonight who comes to corridor Baptist church week after week after week and you're not saved how long do you think it's going to take how long till you finally get saved you know there could be a man who shows up every single Sunday and I don't know it could be a man like this here tonight most churches have a man like this you know her, his wife knows the Lord and and a man he's figured it out you know and I got to give the guy some credit he figured out, all I got to do is go with my wife to church. And you know, Pastor House is a good guy, and the people are nice people, and they have nice burgers for lunch. So all I got to do is just show up and go to church with my wife. My marriage works. 
everything works and that's all it takes it's an hour a week investment and if you figure that out you're you know you're smarter than the average guy out there you really are but you started to come and you've listened to pastor house maybe preached hundreds of times and after a while the word of god started boring a hole in your soul and you know you need to get saved and you know you need to be born again and yet a man will sit in this building week after week after week saying i am not walking down that aisle and trusting the christ of my wife and he'll walk out that door how long do you think god's going to deal with you how long until you think the lord says okay you're going to walk out that door for the last time and that's the last chance you're ever going to have to be saved there's a reason God never said get saved next week. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. How long is it going to be until you get saved? How about some young person? You know, Brother House could tell you more stories he mentioned earlier today than he'd care to know. How, how many stories of young people that have grown up right here in this building, right here in this New Testament church. They have grown up in those Sunday school classes. They have gone to the camps that you go to. They have gotten the revival meetings, missions, conferences. They have heard the Word of God again and again and again and again. And yet week after week, they walk out that door knowing how to play the game of the Christian, but they're not real. So how long is this going to take? You know, because one day that young person who grows up in a church like this walks out that door and they walk out with a stiff neck and a hard heart and they never get saved. And one day you're going to say no to Jesus and you're going to say no for the last time. How long is it going to be? How many more invitations do you get? How many more times does Jesus tug at your heart? How many more times does God give you an opportunity to hear the gospel, to hear a preacher beg you to get saved? How many more invitations is Pastor House going to stand right here and beg you to come and learn how to be saved? How long till you walk out that door and say no for the last time? It is dangerous business to provoke the Lord. How long until you finally get saved? And here's a preacher watching everything fall apart. And he looks up to heaven and he says, how long is this going to take? And now through the pages of the Bible, we hear the Lord turn it right back on us. How long until you and I get serious about doing business with him? So before we can expect him to take care of our how longs, we better give some thinking to his. Father in heaven, I pray tonight that the mighty word of God would do great works in this place. Lord, I pray for your conviction, convicting power to fall upon us. And Lord, may the word of God just break our hearts. May we see how we stand before our God. Lord, I pray that as we want to join Habakkuk and ask how long till you fix things, that we would hear heaven respond, well, how long until we get serious about living for Christ? So we ask you to do a work that a preacher can't do now. May the Spirit of God do mighty works. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, and before we sing that invitation song, I, I wonder if there might be someone here tonight that would say, you know, preacher, I'm the one who needs to be saved. I'm the one who's listened to Pastor House again and again plead with me to be saved, and I have said no, no, and that's got to stop. I am the one who needs to be saved, and I need to be saved tonight. Is there someone like that in this building? Would you just quietly lift your hand? We'll pray for you. And then we'll invite you to come and see from the Bible how you can know you're saved. Somebody tonight, I'm the one who said no. I'm the one who's playing games with my soul. I am the one who needs to get this settled and I need to get it settled tonight. Would you lift your hand? Would you let me pray for you? That's me, preacher, pray for me. 
My Father, we place the invitation into your hands and ask you to do a work that a preacher cannot do. And we come boldly in the name of Jesus. Would you stand together with me prayerfully tonight?